The Joe Mays and J-Rap Show is brought to you in part by Mays Sandwich Shop, serving delicious hometown favorites to the West Lawn community since 1947. and J-Rap Show presents Tangents with Friends. Your source for pop culture. Geek News. Movies and television. Anything else? But no sports. And now here are your hosts, Joe Mays and friends. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Tangents with Friends. I am your host, Joe Mays, and I am not alone. Right here, right now, ready to join me and our sitting guests, Brian and Brent. They'll be along here shortly, are my daughters, Natalie and Haley. Girls, you want to say hello? Hi, everybody. And what are we here to talk about? We're talking about... The Ghostbusters Afterlife. And what are you holding in your hand? We're holding some stuffed animals from past movies and Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, real quickly, real fast, before I bring in my buddies here, what did you girls think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? I I loved it. I like it. And what was your favorite part? I like when the mini puff... Bit the guy's hand. <laughs> bit when he bit the hand? <laughs> okay, well, we're going to talk even more to you girls here real quickly about the movie. But before we do that, should we bring Brian and Brennan? Yeah. All right, here we go. So joining me as they always do on Tangent with Friends are my friends from literally birth, Brian and Brent Barentausen. Guys, here we are, Black Friday. When we were younger, we used to get together to go sh- to uh, clean the shop. And uh, we don't have to do that anymore, but we get to talk about a Ghostbusters movie. So go ahead and unmute yourselves and bring it in here. What do you guys think? Are you ready to talk like Ghostbusters Afterlife? Uh, as a Friday activity, this is a lot better than scrubbing the concrete floor. Be- better than yeah. scrubbing the floor, yeah. Yeah, scraping, gre- scraping grease off of a of a of a totally. like a giant uh, refrigerator wall is. This is a little bit better than that. Talking Ghostbusters. Talking Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters Afterlife in general, better than cleaning the shop. You agree, girls? I definitely yeah, yes. agree. <laughs> all right, so girls, before Brian and Brent and I dive into this movie all together, um, just 
What, what were your uh, thoughts while you were watching? What did you think of the movie? What um, is going to happen at this part? Oh, you were excited to find out what was going to happen next? How about yeah. some of the new characters? Did you like the new characters oh, that yes, weren't in the others? Yes. Muncher and the mini pups. Like, oh, you like the ghosts? I, yes. I also like when the mini puff, um, when the Ghostbusters came, he was like, Oh, when they freaked freaked out yeah, and they were when happy they to see out, the could... original Ghostbusters show. Yeah, up. they they weren't happy at all. No. Um, Natalie, what did you think of the new lead character Phoebe, played by McKenna Grace, the girl? Um, I think she did honestly. Um, a it was a huge success for her, and I loved it. And I know you've also been enjoying the post credit song that she made, right? Yes. What's I... that called? Haunted House. Yeah, you've been jamming out to that, huh? Yes, I love that song. Yeah, it's very good, huh? So I appreciate you girls putting on your uh, your shirts for this occasion. You look awesome in your uh, in your spirit jerseys. Ready to get in the thumbs up from Brent. Ready to rock and roll. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Are you? Do you want to go see the movie again? Yeah. In the theaters? Yeah. Should we take a trip in the next few weeks to go watch it again? Yeah, I yeah. I really liked it. Well, you girls were laughing a lot with uh, your friends when we were in our private theater rental, huh? Yes. Who else was there with us? Brian and Brent. Brian and Brent, that's right. Yeah, we all got to see it together. So it was a lot of fun. Girls, I don't want to hold up. I know you were in the middle of playing, but I thought I'd give you the opportunity to come on and, and tell us what you thought of the movie. And clearly, it had an impact on you because you love the ghosts, you love some of the new characters, you liked seeing the original guys, and you liked the music. So it was all good, right? I like yeah. That actual original character from the first one came back and I'm like wow. I like the wow yeah the, wow the, I think we're all I like, like wow. I like when like, the ghost of Egon came to help Phoebe um try to defeat defeat Zul and also it's funny because um they did the repeating of Zul two times that's right so I mean clearly I mean we put this in the uh so you can see it right there this is a spoiler review so Natalie's not holding back they are not holding back they so, are not holding back in the spoilers and, here. and everyone watching on. us I hope uh I hope everyone's seen the movie we're just jumping right in so yep. yeah well I mean the ending is like the most 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 mind blowing part of the movie yes and uh, and 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 Natalie's and Natalie's there for it. she is Hold here on. for it and Daddy remember the time when I was trying to ask you a question and you walked out in the hallway and you're like there is no Dad only Zul. <laughs> that's right yeah you gotta you gotta there's so many opportunities for to play on that line and we actually got a new one in the in the movie right yeah are you ready are we ready to is re- are you ready for mom to use that one on you there is no mom only Zul? yeah. That's now from a movie. Yes. That's, that's Ghostbusters <laughs> canon for you right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, girls. Well, Natalie Haley, thank you for coming on and talking Ghostbusters Afterlife. And hopefully I can take you back to see it again soon. Would you be okay yes. with that? Yeah. Yeah, that All would right. be amazing. All right. Keep on busting. Keep on busting. Keep on busting. <laughs> All right, girls. Go have fun. I'll see you in a little bit. Thank you. All right. So. All right, Brian and Brent. Here we go. 32 years. 32 years we were waiting for this movie. Jeez. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem real, right? Like, it seems like this isn't something that happened. We didn't We didn't go see this movie, did we? Like, is that even possible? Um, but it, it happened. Really, in a lot of ways, it feels like that, right? Like, I woke up, you know, the next day and the day after that with, like, scenes just playing in my head. Uh, and it, it just didn't seem real. 
Yeah, I know, Joey. I don't know how you felt like that first night on that Thursday viewing. <sighs> yeah, I mean, we're going to have to get into you that. You kind of stressed that night. You seemed a little bit stressed. Like, I think we both were just like on the edge of our seats, not knowing what to expect with the movie. Well, we heard good things going into it. But. Yeah, so we're um, big fans of Yes Have Some podcasts. And they were part of a lucky group that got to see it in October at New York Comic Con, like the beginning of October at New York Comic Con. Like it was like October 8th or something like that. I mean, a, a good five weeks, five or so weeks before the general public was going to get to see it. Uh, so I know I was worried about spoilers. Didn't get spoiled. I don't think anything significant got spoiled. I think the only thing that I had seen that I kind of wish was a surprise was the bug eye ghost. Uh, and that was literally what a one second, two second appearance. It you know wasn't a major thing. It was just a side thing. So the whole the, the plot was kept under wraps, especially that third act. I was happy about that. Um, but seeing how those that group of uh, people had seen the movie and how they reacted, they kind of looked a little bewildered, and I, I was kind of made me a little anxious and nervous going into it. What were we going to get? And then you, uh, Brent, you and I went to one of the preview showings. Uh, Thursday night, uh, which was the November 18th, we went to uh, that like Thursday night early access type thing that we've been doing for Star Wars for so many years now. We went Thursday evening, 7, seven o'clock, eight, 8 o'clock showing. And yeah, 7.45. 7.45, that's right. And uh, you and I watched it. And coming out of it, I was, I, I don't know, I just... I don't think I could wrap my head around that we actually saw this movie and not necessarily afterlife, but a third movie in the Ghostbusters franchise, like tied to the originals because all of us saw answer the call. And I think honestly, by and large, we enjoyed answer the call, but it wasn't what we wanted because we wanted Ghostbusters three and all. And what we got was a reboot. So while it was enjoyable and it was fun to do it for your, your bachelor party, Brent, um, it wasn't what we were looking for in terms of our Ghostbusters fandom as it continues along. Yeah, uh, and we kind of knew that even going into that movie. We kind of had like kind of told ourselves, okay, well, this is not the movie that really we really had anticipated for at that point, you know, 28 years or whatever it was. Right. Uh, but so, it had taken 28 years to come together. And so I was just like, well, this must be what we're going to get. Yeah. Right. And we had better and, be you know, happy. Just keep an open mind. Like, you know, the, the machinations of Hollywood are, are beyond my comprehension. I don't know how the economics, politics of it all works. And, you know, and so I was just like, OK, this must be what we settled on. Uh, and I'm I'm here for it. Right. Like, let's let's do it. And we had fun. You know, oh, we had a lot was, of fun. It was great. Yeah. And, well, and, I, uh, and to kind of like go off that, like I have a colleague at work who's he has three daughters. And he said when his daughters asked to watch Ghostbusters, the one they're referring to. Is the 2016 one right? And you're going to get like, hey, that. Can yeah, can, can we watch Ghostbusters? There's three young girls below the age of 12 or something that want to watch Ghostbusters, and their their Ghostbusters is the all female answer the call. And that's perfect. And that's it's awesome. Brand. That's great because it's yeah. still Ghostbusters. Awesome. It's still related. It's just it's kind of mm -hmm. off on the side from the first two things that we were used to, and it was great mm -hmm. to bring it back. Um, and obviously there was some some obnoxious backlash there. Um, that was unnecessary and uncalled for because in the end of the day, I think the three of us came away, you know, we did that live podcast after, after, uh, seeing the movie and we talked about how we enjoyed what we saw. I would see a sequel, but like we still were, were at the point where 
I really would like to see the original guys come back. Um, even even at that time, we were two years removed from the passing of Harold Ramis, and we knew it was going to be difficult, if not impossible, to do it without him. And then January 2019 comes along, uh, and I just remember immediately messaging you guys, did you see this? This seems kind of really random and abrupt, and is this for real? Well, obviously, it was coming from what Hollywood Reporter or Variety. It was clearly very real that Ivan Reitman's son, Jason Reitman, had written a movie and they had started production on Ghostbusters 3, essentially. It was codenamed Rust City. And we were getting a sequel to Ghostbusters 2, follow-up to the original from 1984. And and I think they confirmed right out of the gate that everybody was returning. You know, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the, some of the original reports said that the original people were coming back. Right. See, I, I don't know that it. I, I think everyone assumed it was, but I don't know oh, that they okay, did okay. because I feel like yeah, until you, know you might be right. Until yeah, I think we got right. that like Hollywood reporter behind the scenes with the guys when they filmed their scenes in the fall of 2019. Right. I feel right. like that's, that's when right. we kind of got confirmation, even though sure. everyone was like, "Well, you can't make a sequel to mm-hmm. the originals without mm-hmm. them in some capacity." Well, they, I just remember confirmed. it seemed like so much all at once is why it felt. Um, why it felt kind of put on. And, you know, we, we've, we've been on this roller coaster since, you know, the mid nineties, right? Like we've been, you know, basically, you know, before the internet, people sharing little snippets of, Hey, I, I saw in the, I saw in this magazine that uh, Dan Acker was talking about Ghostbusters three, you know, this was like 1997 or whatever, 1996. And then, you know, we get online and there's more people talking about it. News starts to travel faster. And, you know, we've been on this roller coaster a bajillion times. So, you know, I didn't kind of know what to expect. But this all seemed like a lot really soon, really fast uh, and very serious right out of the gate, like having big name publications report it. So, yeah, I was a little taken aback. Well, they came out with that. They announced it by coming out with that like mini teaser. Yeah, the next day. That's it came out the next day. Which is insane. Like, you know, they, and I think this was, I think if you were to talk to Jason Raven, I think the, the green light, uh, the green, whatever, this being green lit was actually a pretty quick and painless process in terms of like he pitched it, they green lit it and said, go, go do the movie. You know what I mean? I don't think it was a yeah. long drawn out thing. A lot of that behind the scenes stuff is coming out now. And I, be- I believe actually Jason and his uh, co writer, uh, Gil. Uh, Kenan, I think it is, uh, may have been already having discussions back around the time of the reboot movie that this was in the works for that long and it went under wraps and was only known to like a handful of people until that announcement in January. And that's why they were so far along. They had already done so much work. They've been working on it for essentially three or four years. And we're at the point where, okay, we have to get into casting and filming the movie. That's going to get out there. Let's get ahead of it. Let's make an announcement. We'll go to one of these, uh, you know, um, journals and one of these magazines. We'll do like an exclusive story. And hey, the next day we'll drop a teaser trailer, which was just probably the best way to do it. Because once it starts leaking, you know, while the fan Ghostbusters fandom is anything like Star Wars um, it's still it's still pretty large. I mean, they wouldn't be making another movie if it wasn't. And I think the way they did that back in January 2019 was just perfect to say, yep, this is happening. 
these are the people on board. This is our idea. And we have a teaser trailer for you tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that's one way to uh, spread goodwill. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was just wild. Like it was just so much all at once. It just didn't seem real because that, that's not how things had worked in the past. Like it just, yeah. Um, it talking about the, the, the addition of the original actors and stuff like that. I don't think they announced it till later, but I'm, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that right was right in the now, fall. Right. Yeah, I, but yeah. I just I did hear an interview with with uh, Jason Reitman saying that he would not have done the movie if if the old actors couldn't have come back. So he he knew ahead of time, obviously, like what like whether they were on board or not. But I don't think us as you know fans knew until later on. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's I'm I'm glad that he had that kind of thing, like where. Well, the only way that this can this can work entirely is if we get get the old actors back in some capacity, and and we'll talk about it. But they they didn't play a massive role in this. They didn't really play a massive no. role, but they played an extremely impactful role in it. Right. And the biggest role in the whole movie was Egon Spangler. Yeah. You know? How about that? Yeah. It's crazy. He had the most like uh, effect. You yeah. Know, most influence crazy. over the events. Right. Well. Right. Yep. So, so I don't know if you guys remember back in January 20, you know, almost three years ago now when that all came out and the months that followed up uh, on the, the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip and on Yes Have Some podcast, and I'm sure plenty of others, but those are the two that I've listened to about Ghostbusters for a number of years now. Everyone was talking about what's the plot going to be? You know, is Egon going to be involved? He has to be involved, but how are they going to do it? You know, and we even saw him in the, the reboot and Answer the Call. He was a bust at um, Columbia University. Uh, when he, you know, when the dean walks out, you see you see his bus there. A nice little nod and and, and mini, you know, cameo for him. But how was uh, how were they going to incorporate this? What were they going to do? And you knew he'd have to be involved in some part. But for those first like six months until more information came out, and honestly, probably when they released that first cast photo, when Jason was like, "Here's the family," and you know, it was Carrie Coon, McKenna, Grace. Uh, Finn Wolfhard with, uh, I believe, Jason and Ivan. And everyone was immediately like, um, that has to be a Spangler, right? Because McKenna Grace, the hair and the glasses, like that is full on Spangler right there. And immediately we're like, oh, um, yeah, Egon's definitely going to be part of this movie in some capacity. I, did you guys, either of you think it would be as big a capacity as we got? No, uh, I, I figure they just use the family hair, the family lineage as the hook, as the tie, and the story wouldn't really, you know, lean on Egon much more than that. Um, I was not at all expecting the extent that he was, you know, as a character was was in the movie. Yeah, uh, if you remember the last podcast that we did, Joey was after the the toy show. Yeah, back in August. In August, and at that point. I had made a prediction of a flashback with a deep fake. Um, the reason for that is because there is a, we, we've, there's an actor that's, that's on IMDb titled Elton, who yes. looks exactly like e or very much like Egon. It's an actor that looks a lot like Harold Ramis. Yes. And his, he's under the title of Elton, E-L-T-O-N. Uh, I think so. Anyway, if I'm remembering that. No, correctly. you're right. Yep. You got it. And, uh, so, and what character is Elton in this show, in this movie? Yeah, we uh, didn't we didn't really get it. I, I mean, I don't know of an anyone. I don't know of an Elton. My guess is he was the stand-in for, for Egon. 
Yeah, that. I, that's all coming out now. There was a guy named I think it's Bob Ginton. I want to say his name is credited as the Egon Standin. Um, but maybe he's just the Egon standing at the end. Perhaps the 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 um the gentleman that played Elton was a code name for maybe he did the 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 Egon stuff at the beginning where you don't really see his face. Maybe Perhaps, like because because yeah. he's the, I believe he's the actor that we were like wow he could be Egon's son like he, that right. could be Harold Ramis' son. He looks that close to him. So I'm thinking maybe that's the guy that they had do the opening scene. And they had this uh, this Bob guy do the stand-in um, for him at the end. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're full on into it. So why don't we just talk about um, about Egon being in this movie? It was cool. The opening scene was awesome. I kind of wish I hadn't seen that in the final trailer, which I was actually going to show here at some point. Uh, since we don't have the movie to uh, to draw from yet, we, still, we have those, that final trailer, which was pretty cool. But... You know, Egon is in the movie right at the beginning. We see him leaving um, the mine in the car. Uh, you never see his face or see it lit up, but there's enough good. There's good framing. I mean, this entire movie, the music, the cinematography, like all, amazing, like they a phenomenal job from that side stuff that makes movies enjoyable through the roof for, for this, for this film afterlife just did a great job with all that side, side stuff, set decoration, cinematography, lighting, music, sound effects, everything was top notch. And the, the opening scene where, is, is, yeah, is done perfectly. There's a part where, where, um, uh, what's the character's name? Uh, well, Wolf's uh, Wolfhard's character, whatever his name is, Trevor, uh, Trevor, where he's walking and like, there's like a cornfield in the back of him. And it's like dark, and he runs into those bottles that are hanging from the tree. Yep. Um, it looks just like ET. It's like the fog and the mist and stuff like that. It looks like it could be taken from a, a scene from ET in 1982. You know, and even the ending, which we'll get to, is very much reminiscent of like the ending of ET in a lot of ways. The emotional impact that that has. But anyway, you're right. the 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 way that this is shot is is really really good. You know. So Brian. Um, when we get that opening scene with Egon, did you think, okay, this is what we're getting from Egon. We're going to find out that it's his family, and then we're done with it? Or did you think he would appear in the third act? I, I thought that was it. Uh, and that was more than I expected to even see. Again, I didn't expect – I thought we'd, we'd, we'd get Egon in name only, like the Spengler, Spengler family would be the subject of it. But I was interested to see how they would do the beginning because that's the Ghostbusters formula, right? The movie starts sort of – uh, cold open with a with a haunt, right? And it's the library scene in the first one. It's the buggy in the second one before the logo materializes. And so I was hoping they'd do something like that again. In this one, they use the Egon uh, Egon flash flashback uh, to to kind of set the stage before the before the the opening credits, right? So I, I just thought again the formula was 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 right on, and I did not expect Egon to play a role it, right up front like that. I thought it would. I know it was going to set up the ghost because that's how they do it, but I, I was blown away. Perfect introduction, R really well done. It was, and I thought that's the Egon that we would get, right? I mean, mm -hmm. with a great sort of in profile look alike, you know, um, 
well lit uh, enough to kind of fake it, but have it be believable and not look like it's hokey. It just looked great. It, it looked it looked perfect. And I was like, man, that's perfect. That's great. That's perfect way to bring that back. And then you know, I'm sure they'll tie it to Egon, make sure the audience knows, yes, that was Egon. They'll do that early, later on, blah blah blah. But you could tell right away. Um, yeah, yeah, it just it was it was perfect, and, I, and that would have been enough. For me, honestly, I would I would have loved that. Right? Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that would have been uh, enough. I'm certainly glad we got what we got, but that would have satisfied me, sa- satiated that uh, that need for Egon's presence. We would have gotten it immediately, noon right away. Kind of had the illusions that it's going to be his family, so we're going to have more of it. But that would have been enough. It would have been great. So two things about that opening scene to you guys. I want to get your opinions on this. First is like Brian alluded to the first two movies. They follow the script. You get this introduction to the haunting and then you get the music and the logo. Was it kind of weird that we didn't get that at that spot? Did you, did you, did that take you out of it at all? Were you expecting it or is it something when you're watching the movie, you didn't even think about it that you didn't get after um, that opening scene before we cut to the apartment. We didn't get the, the, the strum and the ghostbusters logo. Just because the opening was so intense, I mean, the first two were were scary and they were freaky, but they were more like cock your head kind of. Hmm? And even twenty sixteen did that a little bit. Um, they didn't play the they played the song right up front with as the lead in. They played Ray Parker Jr. as the lead in right after the opening haunt. Um, uh, it didn't take me out of it. Um, I I just. Because because I just watched the I just watched the scene and Ghostbusters Afterlife did come up after that I think it wasn't that or does was does Afterlife come up before Egon? Um, honestly, I, I that I've only seen only seen it twice. <laughs> um, yeah. I I don't remember. I thought it might happen before. Um, we do get we do get that like this the guitar riff and music in slowly intro with. The Ghostbusters thing at the end, like the bridge scene, like at the end, we get it. It just wasn't in the normal, right. like right. after the prologue type of thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know if either of you, you know, it felt that they should have done it to keep it the formula the same, or like you said, because it's a little bit more, it's closer to home this one because it's a Ghostbuster you're seeing that you've known for 35 years. Uh, you know, I, I just saw Jason from Ghostbusters News said that was the one th- one of the things that he was like, I need this in the movie. And he said he's like, I got it. It was just at the part I wasn't expecting to get it. And I didn't know what you guys thought about it. Yeah, kind of like having a Star Wars movie with the opening crawl at the end. Right. But but it, this felt more like uh, like Rogue One to me. Right. Where. Yeah. It's not exactly the opening that you're used to, but you can still tell what you're being set up for. Brent, how about them basically showing Egon die on screen? Like we thought there would be allusions to it. We thought maybe it would start with him um, having already been dead. But no, Egon is literally murdered by a ghost or dies as the result of a ghost basically causing his death on screen. Um, It was really cool the way they used the PKE meter. But what did you think about seeing that? Well, there's a lot of debate about that. There's people that are saying that he tased himself. That he okay. committed suicide. To I don't know about that. Yeah, like what did, they, what did they say he died from in the film? Wasn't it? Well, like they allude a to attack? a heart attack. Yeah, natural causes. So it, it could it could have been he could have had a heart attack, or he could have instigated his own heart attack with that device, right? That's the what PKE that's taser, what, right? That's right. what a lot of people are saying. It, it's such a like I even tried to look for it this past time because I've I've seen it now three times, but it's hard to say. There's the the cuts are so quick that you can't really see him do it. 
But I, I think, I mean, I'm not sure if he's, he's like, if they're alluding to that, like he's taking his, his life so he can become a ghost and, you know, fight the battle from that side or, or what. But I, I mean, I would say, I would see it in that fact that, okay, he kind of sees the, the writing on the wall where the, the, um, the ghost is coming over him, right? I guess it's the terror dog. Really right? amazing special effect. Yeah, with which the, is with cool. the smoke and, and the fog. And he knows that's happening. He knows that's going to happen. So he so he kind of takes his own life because, because of that. Now, they're not really coming out and saying that. Maybe we'll eventually find out the real truth to that. But, yeah, in terms of setup, Joey, your question originally was about the setup. Um, yeah, I think it was the perfect way to set up a movie that was about Egon, right? Is like start the movie off with Egon and you get to kind of, instead of them alluding to what his fate was and us trying to put the pieces together, they showed us the scene in the very beginning. This is how it happened. And then everything after that is, is based off of that moment and can be drawn back to that moment. So it's, it's really cool. I think the way that it's set up and I was thinking about that too, opening with the, 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 and I just hoped I didn't really care where the song was, whether it was in the, in the beginning, the Ray Parker Jr. song in the middle and some sort of montage, you know, like we see in the, in Ghostbusters one, Right. With Larry King and all that stuff. Or if it was at the end, which was something I had thought of, like, well, maybe they'll put it on the, the closing credits or something. Like that. As long as we get it. Like, I didn't care where we got it as long as we, we got the original song. Yeah. So we, I, I've kind of been driving this all over the map, but we started talking about the the Thursday night showing, Brent, and, and made a little bit of a mention that I was not sure how I felt. and. The, th- the thing about that is I was fully expecting the movie to be like the first and second act. Uh, a little bit of a slow burn focused on the old, or excuse me, the new characters developing their presence, showing some character progression before we get to the third act. And it, it was the third act that Thursday night, our first showing Brent that I, I, I knew I liked what I saw, but I didn't know if it fit fit with the broader feel of the movie at the time. And I feel like I was almost overstimulated by seeing so much in that third act that I dreamt of seeing for 32 years that I couldn't fully process it on Thursday night when we saw it. Cause I walked into that movie. So I, I, I don't want to say like when we saw the last Jedi, because I don't like the last Jedi and that's not true about Ghostbusters afterlife. But I had that feeling of, I don't, I don't know that I can comment on this fully after one viewing. I feel like there was too much going on. And at the time, I felt more like I did after Rise of Skywalker, I think, where I was like, that was good, but I think it could have been better. Um, which is a little different, because Last Jedi, I was like, I didn't like that at all. But Rise of Skywalker, I was like, I enjoyed most of that, but there was just some choices that I wish they would have changed. And when I saw Rise of Skywalker again, I still felt the same way. But then we all went and saw it in in the, the theater rental with just 19 of us in the theater, which Natalie and Haley were blown away that we had a private theater. They are like, what? Wait, no one else is going to see that? We're just here with our friends and family? This is the greatest thing ever. And uh, it was great because even though it was just 19 of us, we all still sat close together and we could all hear each other's reactions, which was fabulous because I could hear my girls laughing at the movie. 
And I could hear all of us, or many of us, including including my wife, uh, tear up and cry at the third act. Which is also, I want to point out, as I to try bring this uh, the selfish te- tangent uh, here to a conclusion, I didn't. I had no emotional reaction on Thursday night that first viewing, and, and again, it's not because it's not built in there, and that I don't. It's. It's tough for me to watch now. You know, Brent sent me a, a clip on YouTube to our group chat of, the, of part of the final scene, and I watched it, and I was a crying mess watching it again. So I'm like, well, I've now confirmed that that Thursday first showing is an outlier. Uh, this movie has everything I needed to have. Uh, it's an incredible addition to Ghostbusters, and I'm glad I feel that way because after that first showing, I was a little little worried, but I just think. The third act feels so much different from the first two that it just caught me off guard um, initially. But upon multiple repeat viewings, um, I-, I love it. So, uh, yeah, I could, I could kind of, I could kind of gauge that off of the first, off the the Thursday evening too. And just to kind of speak my piece about that first viewing is like, I thought that uh, my first, my first impressions. And I think it was because I talked to Brian about this later. I think it was because I was anticipating so much about like. When are they going to bring the classic characters back? When are they going to have this? When are they going to have that? I definitely thought the pacing was something that originally that was for me. I was like, this is kind of slow paced. And like, but then when I went back and watched it again, each of those scenes that happens in the beginning and the middle to set up the end uh, is really necessary. Like the, the relationship between Callie and Egon that she goes down to this lab and sees the pictures like you needed to have that. Like the all of this stuff with like them, like the kids learning about the packs and learning and discovering the equipment, um, like all that stuff. Like every scene now that I watched it again and now a third time is really kind of necessary in the overall progression of uh, the movie. And I think if you take one or more of those things away, you, you'll lose a lot of the impact of it. Um, but the first time I watched it, I think it was because I was like really anticipating so much like it, it it i thought like it dragged on a little bit longer than i wanted it to that didn't i didn't feel that way at all the second and third time yeah i, it, so. I think i think I, I i do think that anticipatory nature even though i didn't have i didn't want to have high expectations because i've been burned on that in the past with too many things i was like don't go in thinking i need to get this because if you don't get it you'll be disappointed but i think it was just because of three decades of is this going to happen are we going to get this that really messed with me thursday night and i'm glad that's over with Uh, maybe this is something we could talk about but you mentioned the uh you mentioned the last jedi i actually think that this movie has a lot of last jedi vibes to it i believe i and and rise of skywalker vibes to be honest with you like at the end when she's shooting Gozer and they're like the blasts are like coming together like this. It's totally Ray versus Palpatine. Oh, so I see. I got Harry Potter vibes out of that. I got Harry versus Voldemort. Ten percent Ray versus Palpatine, but I don't really know. I've never seen the Harry Potter movies, so I don't really know anything about them. Yeah. um, Well, uh, and and the whole thing of like, well, Egon can rot in hell. It was like a total like. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. I should end moment. Yeah. It was a very much a Luke Skywalker type of arc that he took in 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 F eight that I felt like um, was taken here. Like you needed to have that, that conflict between them for it to be resolved towards the end, you know, just like Luke Skywalker had to like, you know, find a way to save the day in his own way at the end of episode eight. I think we found a way that like here, here we got like that resolution of their relationship between Ray and Egon and, you know, 
Peter and Egon, all these like different characters. But anyway, I'll let you guys chat about that. Yeah. Well, Brian, how about you? When you saw it on Saturday with us, that was your first showing. Did you have right, any first kind and of only still my only? Oh, only I'm, one. I'm sorry about that. Uh, um, <laughs> did you have any like? Were you overwhelmed? Did the anticipation get to you? Did expectations hit you? How did you feel after that initial showing? I mean, I was I was amped for sure. Um, but after the initial showing, I was I was jazzed up. I wasn't numb the kind of numbness that you're feeling. Um, I, I, it, it, I was like that as the movie started, just because. I, it was just so hard to believe, like, especially because it starts with Egon and I wasn't expecting that it was like right into, you know, something I didn't think I was ever going to see. Right. So yeah, that, that I was kind of numb at the beginning, like, Oh my God, like this is going to be way, way more intense than I, than I even thought. Um, and I did have the unfortunate spoiler of the post credit scene, the second one. So I knew that that was happening. So like I, in my mind, like I, I like was anticipating that coming at the end. So I think that kind of like, I was amped up and ready for that, you know? Um, but I would say, I, I, I think it hit all the beats it needed to hit. I had the emotional response at the moments that Reitman wanted us to have the, those responses. And um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I loved it and I thought I, I didn't, I, I didn't have the precisely the, the feeling you're describing in the way that you did. I was, it was when it started, it was just, like you said, it was hard to believe. It was just hard to believe that we were seeing what we were seeing um, just because it had, had been so long. I wonder, for I wonder Brian, and we'll never know this. This is just, you know, a hypothesis. After all, I am a scientist, um, at least by degree, um, may, may not be uh, acting uh, at the moment in a scientific capacity, but I'll leave that to my wife and uh, and daughters because they are certainly into the science as well, which honestly I think is why Natalie loved it so much. Like I honestly think she watched Phoebe and was like, that's me. Like I, I'm all about that. Um, but honestly, Brian, do you think because you got to see it with, you know, your dad was there, me and Brent were yes. there, a bunch of other friends, you know, Nick was there, Gre- Greg was there, you know, a whole bunch of people that yep. you grew up no, they knew you love Ghostbusters, and they mm-hmm. they they you know like that we like Ghostbusters. Do you think that helped in the showing that being surrounded by people yeah. that were there for the same reason you were? One hundred percent. Yep. I I didn't have to worry about are the other people around me getting this? Are they fans? What's their deal? Am I disturbing them when I laugh too loud? Right. Am I you know that kind of thing? Like I could be I could be totally unguarded and just give myself over to the movie 100%, right? I didn't have to worry about who was around me. I didn't worry, have to worry about, you know, obviously try to be respectful, but like, you know, we're laughing. We were, um, you know, com- making comments to Brent and, you know, Greg sitting next to me making comments to me and like, we're laughing and I'm listening to your girls laugh at the different jokes. And like, it, 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 there was like no guard up. Yeah. So I, I could just like, let it all, let it all wash over me and, and respond in the moment, uh, 100% genuine reaction. And, um, I, I think that really made a difference. Yeah. So before we, um, dive into taking this uh, beat by beat and get through the whole entire movie, I just, I, I want to say that I know there was a very much a slow burn 
on the marketing, mostly because of the, the pandemic. Like we were supposed to get this movie a year and a half ago. We it was announced in January 2019. We got that teaser immediately. We didn't really hear much until Fan Fest that summer. Then we got you know yeah the original guys are going to be back and a little kind of like a wink and a nod when they did that interview with Bill Murray and talked about Dan and Ernie being back. And then we finally got that trailer in December 2019. You know we we're we're about six and a half months from the release of the movie. All right, we got this trailer. And boy, man, was that a trailer. Everyone really liked it. We talked about it on this show. And then the pandemic hit and everything basically shut down. I mean, literally, no one's doing anything by and large. And movies start getting delayed. You know, first we got it from July 2020 to March 2021. And we're like, oh my God, we got to wait almost a year. We were we were three months away and now we got to wait a year. And that then, was rough. Oh, that, was, that rough. was rough. And then, you know, I think last end of last summer, early last fall, it got moved to June. And we were like, oh, well, hey, that's June is Ghostbusters month. It was already delayed a year. Let's push it back a few more months. You know, and then we, then final, well, actually not finally, it got moved to mid-November. And we were like, okay. And then it got moved a week later. That one was less the pandemic related as it was, hey, we can put this in IMAX now. Let's do that. Um, but I think once they settled on that November date, November 19th, and they're like, we're not moving it anymore. This is happening. And they finally got around to promotion. I thought their social media crew, any kind of promotional crew marketing, I thought they did a fabulous job. And I think, uh, and I don't know how much of this comes directly from Jason and Ivan or ghost cores, or it was just, you have talented people in the art department, but the stuff they gave us, and I'm speaking specifically on like what's on my screen right now that you should be able to see, an advertisement with the beat up old Ecto with a Stay Puffed ad on the bill, like that is perfect marketing for Ghostbusters. What more could you want? I feel like they were giving out things that the fans appreciate and the general public that aren't the hardcore people are like, that's Ghostbusters, that looks cool, let's go see this movie. What do you, what do you guys think about the promotion over the last six or seven months? I think it's just a hard time to promote movies in general. I mean, I, I'll confess that you know, every obviously, I drove, I drove uh, to, to see the movie with with all of you, so it involved taking some time off from work, and it, you know, and everybody I told where I was going and why I was taking off, and nobody knew it was coming out. I, I don't think anybody knew that this movie was happening or, or or anything. And same with you know, when I was gone, my wife talking to her coworkers, "Where's your husband? Oh, he's you know, he's home seeing this," and. Uh, they didn't know anything about it either. But I, and I think that's not a statement about Ghostbusters. I think it's just a statement about, I don't know when this was the only movie I had on my radar for over a year. I don't know when anything else is coming out. I don't know when it came out. I don't know when it's coming out. I don't, I don't, I really don't. And I think it's just a, it's just ridiculously tough time to, to, um, to promote movies right now because we didn't have uh, access to physical theaters for over a year. And then combine that with all the different experiments in uh, streaming that are going on right now. Same day release, next day release, next week release, dual release, you know, what, whatever. Like, it, it, it's just so hard uh, right now. So uh, for me, I, I was I could have had no uh, marketing and I still would have known you know, what day it was coming out and been on board, but nobody I talked to knew it was coming out, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, is unfortunate. I mean, it, it and it, honestly, a little surprising because 
everyone I talked to knew it was coming out because I kept telling them that this movie is is coming out. You need to go see it. Uh, you know, I would be showing the trailers. I showed the trailers at the shop. Like I would pull them up on the televisions and and put them out there, and uh, it would always be going uh, around me. But uh, yeah, I do. I think you you hit that perfectly. It's just a really tough time to be promoting movies because people aren't thinking about it. This was the first movie I saw in the theater for a, in a year and a half. I don't know that there was another movie that could get me to go to the theaters uh, dur- during the pandemic. Like it, this is pretty much the only movie that I was like, there is no way I'm not seeing this in the theaters. There's no way I'm not seeing this with at, at, at least Brent. And when Brian, when you jumped in and were like, yeah, I'm going to come up. I was like, well, we're doing this. This is happening. We are going to the theaters to see this movie because we have to. And, and if, I, th- I think the one thing that sucked about it, obviously things get kept, kept getting pushed back, but I, I'm, I'm actually really happy that they got pushed back. And, and one of the reasons I think they kept doing it was because this was such a pivotal deciding factor, I think, in the future of this franchise. You know, 2016 didn't have the kind of result, I think, that they wanted to have. So if this one would have been a complete flop, I think it would have been kind of, unfortunately, the nail in the coffin for any future projects for an extended period of time once again. Um, and I, don't, I think by them holding off and waiting for it to be actually put in the theater make some big money, you know, and do that was their way of saying, we think we have a good product here. We don't want to just throw it out as a, as a science experiment or some sort of experiment on a streaming network and just see how well it does. We want to make sure that this has the legs that it can have and, um, and, and hopefully fund a future for the fans and the franchise that give, give it, give it a chance. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm happy that it does. Cause it, we can talk numbers. I'm not sure how it's doing right now or this weekend. Yeah, I was going to pull uh, that up next. Right. So go right ahead. But, um, let's talk it. But if you, if you look at the 2016, from what I've heard, that costs about 144 million to make. Right around there, and yeah. This one, and this one costs 75 million to make. So about yeah, essentially half, half the price. And we've already made back more than three, uh, probably 80 percent of that so far in the first week of its showing. Right. And I, I so, know the marketing and promotion budget is not part of the production budget. So, um, right. but that's, that's true for any movie then. So whatever movies we compare it to that isn't in, in included, but yeah, Brent, you bring that up. Um, so initial expectations from the studio and from groups in the know, you know, that those, those production magazines and things like that was, I saw anywhere from like 28 to 32 million for opening weekend. 44 million is what it brought in. So it massively overachieved in those Thursday to Sunday showings, mostly Friday to Sunday, uh, which is a huge sign. Like Sony and Ghost Course should have been celebrating because it shot through by almost what, 50% higher return than they expect. If if their expectations were 30 and it brought in 44 million, that's huge. And that's, it should be a signal to them that, there is demand for this. What else can we do in this universe? And and that could be coming. We could get an announcement in the next year or so. Uh, I know there's people saying, oh, well, we'll get a sequel movie. There's some that hope that maybe there'll be a series. And that all ties into that second um, stinger at the end of of the movie, which we'll get to. Um, well, the thing that boggles my mind is that tw- if, lo- if you watch the 2016 movie and you watch the 2021 movie, 
does the 2016 movie really look like it's cost twice as much to make as this one does? Like, I yeah. guess in some ways I get it. Like, I think so. The special effects budget is probably what put, I, I would guess. I mean, you, the, the sheer number of ghosts at the end. Right. Like yeah. The, think, the, think about that Times Square battle. Times Square. The, yeah. I which think is probably that, the highlight of the movie. So they did. I mean, they used it at the right spot. Right, and there was the the dance scene that was cut out. You had to pay, yeah. There's a lot of extras in there. Like it was just, it was a very big. Uh, That's true. This was much smaller cast, much smaller cast, much much. You know, like like a, all the other Ghostbusters movies, hardly any ghosts. You know, yeah. there were like four ghosts. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, I think uh, it was just it was a special effects is where it was. <laughs> yeah. Did mind. you uh, did you see or listen to any of that? I'm not sure if this was on one of Adam Savage's tested videos, if it was just a behind the scenes thing. Oh, actually, honestly, it might have been with the conversation that yes, have some had with Jason Reitman, which was released to the public yesterday. They talked to the SFX department. Well, not they, Jason was talking about the, the special effects department and about, um, was it the, was it the Egon scene? I think, no, no, it was, um, it was, uh, Evo Shandor getting ripped in half. And they were like, so this is going to be this shot. And Jason's like, no, we're doing that practical. <laughs> we're, we're ripping a guy in, in half with practical effects. Uh, that, that's what it was. And they're like, yep. Oh um, yeah, yeah, no, no special effects needed. We're going to uh, create, um, you know, a meat sack and rip it in half. And uh, it's all done practically, which is, which is interesting um, for sure. But yeah, so the returns money wise are, are very good. I know they're oh, com- that's the one thing not to interrupt you, but that's the one thing Dan Aykroyd was always like, I wish it didn't cost so much. Yeah. Like, he, he said that a lot. Yep. How much, He's like, he's like, it was great movie. The girls were great. Just got to keep really it expensive. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah, it's too expensive, too expensive. So I think he got what he wanted here. It's definitely a more intimate movie. It's definitely a more, uh, personal movie. And I think it's obviously a cheaper movie. So, and I mean, money wise, I, I don't know that they could be, it could be doing any better for them. I mean, obviously it could be getting the Marvel movie money like Eternals did and like Spider-Man will, or like what Venom got. But for this year, it's doing very well. It should finish the year strong. It should be probably close to a top five movie um, worldwide domestically, I think. Uh, And this movie also hasn't come out a lot of the international markets. It's still behind. I know I got friends in Australia. They don't get to see it, I think, until January. So unfortunately uh, for them, they have to wait. But the numbers will continue to grow. This has the feel of it being more of a, a marathon for Ghostbusters to accumulate its uh, its net proceeds or its uh, its net gains. So we'll see what happens in the long run. But so far, so good for Ghostbusters Afterlife at the box office. But we we can't uh, just talk box office money. We also have to talk about um, reception, and it's an interesting dichotomy we're getting with Ghostbusters Afterlife in the critics versus the audience. And I know we've talked about this in our group chat. One of those is way more important than the other. Thankfully, the one that's more important, which is what does the audience think of it, the people that are actually paying to see the movie, what do they think about it? Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 96%, which is just fantastic. And going a little bit farther to cinema score, it got an A minus. So on the place that aggregate reviews from people that are actually paying to see the movie, the ones that are going because they're fans, the ones that are taking their children to see it, by and large, 
the vast, vast majority absolutely love this movie. But the critics don't. Uh, and it's tough for me to wrap my head around. What do, what do you guys think about the audience versus the critics, the, the, the disparity there between the, uh, the thoughts on this movie? Well, unfortunately, I've tried to wrap my mind around it, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm such a big fan that I can't divorce, I can't take an objective look at the movie. So I keep telling myself, like, okay, I'm a film critic. Uh, I've never seen a Ghostbusters movie, or it's my job to evaluate this movie as a cultural artifact, maybe connected to, not necessarily connected to the other ones. Um, is it a good movie or not? Like, technically, aesthetically, you know, creatively. Um, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, you know, if I'm, if I, I can't not feel about this movie. And so I can't, I can't, uh, you know, evaluate it as a critic might, you know, and get, and say something like, well, you know, maybe it wasn't a great, technically great movie, but it's the movie I wanted to see or something like that. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, for the fans, it was clearly everything it needed to be and what everybody wanted it to be. Uh, and, you know, as you said, Joey, that's, that's who's paying to see the movie. So that's what, you know, that's a determinant of its, of its marketability. But, um, you know, I, maybe the, maybe the critics are right. And it's not a, maybe it's not a great movie for, for, you know, a general audience or for in the history of cinema or something. I don't know, but I I can't, I can't take an objective look at it and and make a, a, a statement like that. You know, I just, I, it's impossible for me. So you know, I just, I don't, I guess I don't care. <laughs> you know, I've waited for, I've waited 30, uh, 30 years to see this. It was, it delivered in every respect what I wanted to see in here. Uh, and so like, I, I can't tell you if it's good or not good. It's exactly what I needed it to be. It was the best thing I, I, I could have seen. So that's all that matters to me. Uh, Brent. It sounds like, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say like, uh, it sounds like the real Brian's kind of picking up a great point there. The reasons that we as fans like it, are the same reasons that uh, critics don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we like the nostalgia factor. We like the fact that it has all these callbacks to the originals. We like that it has the original actors and that they're, they're calling back to some of those quotes and all those things that for us are the things that we waited 32 years for are the same reasons that they're like, well, this is just a nostalgia bomb. And it's basically just, there's no meat to it or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, but that's, that's exactly why we do like it. So if they were to take, they were to have taken more of that out, maybe fans would have not liked it as much. And, but maybe critics would have liked it. So those scores would have been maybe more balanced out at that point. I just feel that, you know, if you listen to any interview with Jason Reitman, what does he talk about? He did it. He wrote this for fans. He didn't write it for critics. He he wrote it for his dad and he, he wrote it as a fan for the Ghostbusters fans. Cause he knew this is exactly what we all have wanted for the longest time. Not what critics wanted, what we wanted. So. Yeah, I know. I always have this. And, and he's he's written he's written a, a lot of critically acclaimed movies. Like he's you know I love Jason Reitman's Oeuvre. Like I, I've I've I love Up in the Air. Still one of my favorite movies. Juno I, I think is just a masterpiece. He knows how to make a critically acclaimed film. You know, it's not like you know, I, don't, so, I don't think it, it. He he knew how to hit the tone of this movie and and to give uh, to 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 follow up the franchise in in, in a way that was in tone and in kind with what already existed rather than striking out and making something that was, yeah, maybe like, uh, maybe it was, 
technically superior or maybe it was aesthetically superior like or in a way a critic would respond to but that's not what he was setting out to do i don't think i feel like technically and aesthetically he nailed it on the head i don't see how you could be upset with it from a movie making standpoint same like we we already talked about music sound like everything was so so good i just don't Mm -hmm. get why so many critics and i mean it's still as like 64 percent or whatever on Rotten Tomatoes, but from the critics, so it's not, it's not awful by any means, but it's not what I expected because. And Brian, you, you talked about Jason Reitman and his past films. Honestly, I think that caught me off guard that first showing. I went in thinking I was going to see a full blown Jason Reitman movie, and I got two thirds of it. Whereas the third part did not feel like a Jason Reitman movie at all. And I think that kind of the pacing changed and just the overall feel I feel like did a 180 in that third act. And that really had me almost like uneasy. Like I was sitting there being like, what is happening? What is going on? Thankfully all of that went away on the second viewing, but that all that kind of was in my head that whole Thursday night watching the, the for the first time. Um, Cause it, it felt like a radically different movie in that, that third part. Um, yeah. And I just want to add like too, like I understand where some people are coming for our, from where it's like in a lot of ways, there's a lot of beats from this movie that were very reminiscent of the 84 movie, obviously. Right. That's, that that's makes true. so this much is, sense to me though. Yeah, but it does. It does. And this was the way for them to safely and successfully bring back the revive the franchise as they did with star Wars with what was, what was episode sevens force awakens biggest criticism from fans. And it people? was like a new hope. It was, a, it was structured, had the same formula as the original movie, right? And so this one has a very similar format. Now, my only critic cri- criticism will be if they make a sequel to this movie and it has a river of slime and a, pa- and a talking painting. <laughs> All right, now we're having issues. Like, Guys, come on. Can we think, can we expand upon that, that foundation that we had in Afterlife and start to branch out and do some more original content within the universe? Right, let's go to right? Mount Rushmore instead of the Statue of Liberty. Have, yeah. have those heads walking around the Dakotas. Yeah, like, that's something, the- <laughs> something different, right? Well, let, let me, I, I, I'm not a film critic, and I... I I don't, I don't think I could be, um, but I, I wrote for a newspaper for a number of years and I, I, one of my dear coworkers was the film critic at the paper. So we talk about movies all the time. And I remember when I was working one summer, uh, episode three came out and I forget what the paper's rating system was. Um, but he gave it a higher rating than any of the first, either of the first two, which he also reviewed for the paper. And he um, liked it. He was telling me everything he liked about it and why he liked it and, and things like that. But his review had one star off, right? I think it was three out of four star review system. It was three out of four. If it was a five star system, it was a four out of five. We'll just say he gave it a four out of five and everything he told me was all what we, we liked about it. And I said, so why, you know, why did it lose the star? And he said, um, because of what it was. Cause it was star Wars. So, so, so you can interpret that in a number of different ways, but I think in his eye as a critic, what you're looking for is what new ground does this break artistically? What new story does it tell? What new uh, innovations does it make for the medium of film? Right. The, but, uh, you know, a movie like Star Wars is not necessarily designed to do any of those things. Well, not right? anymore. It it, right. It's it, and the same with Ghostbusters Afterlife. You know, uh, it is what it is, and that's why we went to see it. Right. But his response is, you know, well, it, it, because of what it was. You know, a five star movie is one that 
is like unlike anything I've ever seen before that makes me feel and think about film in new ways that challenges me and blah 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 you know and I get that I get you know as a critic you, that that must be what makes a five star movie for you but this isn't that it's no. not trying to well, do those things the, the um, problem so, I have with uh, with critics and I use that you know with the the quotes because a lot of these people aren't critics like in, in like Brian you were talking about an actual film critic from a newspaper and i know yes. in 2005 yeah. the the you know the winds of change were already blowing in that regard and blogs were becoming very popular and now there's people reviewing this for places that you're like you're not an actual film critic like you get that right but they're lumped in with yeah. the traditional film critics who i believe like are those for the general public thinks are the stuffy nose you know people mm -hmm. that are like they're looking for exactly what you just said and that's perfectly mm -hmm. acceptable i guess my problem yeah. is with the people that are now film critics that don't know what they're talking about like they're, they're a mixture of fans and critics it's a weird line to draw I also think too many of them are bringing up stuff just for clicks. Like it's just clickbait. They're like, I'm going to throw this in the headline. I'm going to say, I hated this movie and, and just, and they're honestly not giving you a true review. They're doing it to get as much uh, money out of people as possible. But the ones that really annoy me is the ones that just kept comparing this to 2016 for whatever reason. They, they they didn't like it because it didn't follow 2016 or they didn't like it because of the way 2016 that like all the stuff um, related to um, 2016 all the bad stuff that came up somehow that has any that has an impact on afterlife like no these are completely separate 2016 has nothing to do with this just like this has nothing to do with 2016 you don't need to constantly be drawing these parallels to all of the crap that happened surrounding that movie it literally has nothing to do with it other than maybe saying well that wasn't what people wanted Maybe we should give them what they want. And that's not an indictment on the process. That isn't to say that the people that love Afterlife, you know, hate Paul Feig, hate Kate McKinnon, you know, hate all the people that made that movie. The three of us sitting here are, are exactly proof that that's not true. We all like Answer the Call. It just wasn't what we wanted. Afterlife is what we wanted. So the, the reviews that just go on and on to, to bring answer the call into it and then try to they they're trying to purposely prop up answer the call at the yeah, cost of, of afterlife yeah that's like the culture that we live in now that we, we in order to raise something up we have to put something else down oh, yeah do exactly that. and it, and it really sucks that um that has to be the case why can't you just like something about everything and there be issues about certain things like like you know Dude, I love. I actually really like the Last Jedi, and there's some things. There's some. There's some beats in that movie that I could probably do without. But Hold on, I'm trying to find my boo button. Absolutely, that <laughs> doesn't mean I absolutely hate that movie. I think some of the greatest moments in the sequel trilogy are in that movie. Well, you know, I mean, um, the throne room battle is absolutely stellar. Like that is an yeah, amazing the, aspect of that movie. Luke Skywalker goes on to the Millennium Falcon and has a discussion with R two D two, and he shows him the the the, the thing of, of Princess Leia, like how amazing is it to see that you know, that was a cheap shot the original like oh my gosh this is so good um just like in episode two you know like there's some spots that i've watched that with you joey several years ago again oh, attack and, of the clones and, and we're talking the clones it's like it's not one of my favorites but there's some moments in there's like holy crap they completely rebuilt the lars homestead just as they did in episode four like there's some amazing shots amazing things in that movie um 
does it mean that like I have to hate a movie just because I don't like everything in it? No, I can. I just, I don't know. I think our lives are too short. I'm, I'm so busy doing things, other things in my life that I, I don't tend to, you know, dwell in the negative all the time. You know, it's like, let's find what we like about the movie and enjoy it. So yeah, it's just weird that we have to, people have to constantly be putting, putting down 2016 to, to, to raise up this movie. Why can't we just treat them as something completely different? But because it is. Well, mostly, honestly, it was the other way around. People were putting down this movie to try to prop up 2016. That's what I was talking about. Oh, like people okay, don't people. Oh, yeah, that's well, that's the stuff that I was sending to you saying, like, how is this still a topic of discussion? Why are we even doing this? The, these these films aren't really that related in any aspect. But anyways, let's move on from that and talk about the actual movie here as we, we only got about 20 minutes. So um, what if anything, do you guys think was missing from this movie? Was there anything you're like, I would have liked to have seen this um, outside of uh, maybe, I, honestly, I was hoping for a little bit more of a in-movie non-credit appearance of Annie Potts and Sigourney Weaver. I knew we knew we weren't getting Rick Moranis, so I don't even think that counts. But I, I was hoping we'd see uh, Janine and, and Dana a little bit more or Dana at all in the actual movie, although I do really enjoy that, that post-credit scene. Um, one of the things that kind of solidifies GB2 is still being canon. Because um, I, I think uh, I think Peter and Dana are, are together. And I think that uh, that shows uh, in the credits. But I would have liked to have seen Janine and, 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 and Dana in, in the main movie maybe a, a little bit more. But um, other than maybe a few few lines that I didn't think landed right for me. I, 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 I didn't think it was missing anything. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I would have liked more Evo Shandor. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm I mean, with you. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting any Evo Shandor. Um, so, you know, to, to, but then to introduce him in the way that they did and then to promptly <laughs> like eviscerate him, like, uh, you know, I, I, it would have been great, especially because if you've played the video game, that's a very Shandorian plot as mm -hmm. well. Yep. So if you think about that, this is the third movie of a trilogy that goes first movie, video game, this movie, um, that chronology works out pretty well. And it, it, it strings along like the Shandorian, uh, mythos a little bit. So I would have, I guess, liked a little bit more Evo Shandor, like, you know, give me like a little bit of a, a vi diabolical villain monologue about like why all this work, you know? Yeah. Um, I, think I, lo I love the, 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 the ties, the selenium girders and, you know, they really, it was all great. And, and this is, it was a perfect premise. And, you know, the fact that he's still there is kind of like, oh, okay, well that wasn't expecting that. But now that he is, you know, I, I was kind of expecting a little bit more from him, but, uh, especially cause they got, um, uh, you know, J.K. Simmons. Uh, they, got J. Simmons. Uh, they got J.K. Simmons, like a bankable actor to play him. And he, and he had like a line. A line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I, honestly, so, like, I feel like that's on the cutting room floor somewhere. Although I don't know why I, you I cut out. I was just going to say that. I think, I think in the director's cut, which I'm really stoked to finally, you know, I'm sure there is going to be one. Um or you know the tons of bonus bonus scenes and stuff on on the on the yeah. DVD and Blu-ray. I don't think we're getting a director's cut, but I think we're going to get deleted scenes. 
Yeah, uh, I would love to be able to watch accurate. something with it. You know, I, I would love to watch something that's 20 minutes longer. Like, give me a two and a half hour Ghostbusters movie. Like, I'm all about that. Throw all that yeah. stuff in there, Jason. I will love it. I will lap yeah. it up. Right. Um, it's, right. It's, I, it's always fun to watch those Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter versions that are the extended cuts. I'd love to see Ghostbusters Afterlife with more from Jason and stuff he cut. And I think J.K. Simmons' Evo Shander is definitely something they're like, mm, maybe we can save a minute here and cut this out. But I wish they would have left it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so so that was if I had any letdowns, it was that because I thought, oh shoot, they're really they're you know they're gonna they're gonna tie it, put a nice bow on this to kind of give Evo Shandor like a moment, um, which you know was it was almost sort of a, a detail in uh, in Ghostbusters one, um, you know you get that t- tidbit in the uh, in the jail, but his bizarre experiments and all the stuff you know that he's supposed to be involved in. Uh, would have loved to have a little bit more color around him, but you know, so be it. Yeah. Uh, again, I think the pacing was tight, so it. I hate I hate to suggest that as a trade off, but maybe that would have been nice. Yeah, I uh, I just think something could have ex- expanded on his presence. I mean, it does show the evilness of Gozer by you know he went through all this trouble to essentially build her monuments or it build it monuments to, to bring her, to bring it back. I know it can be whatever it wants, uh, to bring it back. And it just comes over to him and rips him in half and like finally right. kills him. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think that could have been expanded on, especially cause they got JK Simmons, but JK Simmons isn't the only big name person that had come here. You know, we all know about Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon and Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace and the, um, Logan Kim and the trajectory of their career since they were cast in this. Paul Rudd obviously was huge before this movie. Um, amazing casting again, like we talked about sound editing, sound mixing, music, cinematography, uh, set decoration, all that great stuff. Fabulous casting nailed it like absolutely nailed it the new cast is absolutely stellar uh but we got olivia wilde plays gozer uh by and large for most of it at least the part where she's not metaphysical and and jumping in and out um i forget is it is it emily portner I, i forget her name the one who plays the spirit of gozer at different parts of the film when it's not the physical embodiment that's played by Olivia Wilde. She's uncredited too, which is crazy. But that was one thing sitting with Brent that Thursday night, I'm looking at Gozer and I'm like, did they get Olivia Wilde to play Gozer? And yes, yes, they did. So she's that uncredited. Was, Olivia Wilde's uncredited. She, she is not in the credits. It lists spirit of Gozer. Um, and they list the name of, uh, of of the of the woman that does it, I cannot remember. It is off the top of my head. I think it's something Portner, uh, but I think they use her facial features for when Gozer is like dis- disembodied and kind of like part, you know, kind of more spirit like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. when it's the physical form, especially like when um, Phoebe walks up to her in the temple to talk to her, that's obviously Olivia Wilde, and Olivia Wilde standing there at the right. end before the, the big end, right, battle, right. that's Olivia Wilde. But the in between stuff. They're using, I forget, she's, I don't know if she's um, a ballet performer or she's some kind of dancer type. Um, I believe it's she, they use her for uh, the capture and the spirit of of, Go, of Gozer. But yeah, Olivia Wilde, un- uncredited she's like for a that. Contortionist. Yes, she's a yes. professional contortionist. She, yeah. She's able to move uh, nimble little minx, you know. 
Brent, what about you? Is there anything that you were like, I wish I, we would have gotten that, or did uh, did you get everything you wanted? I, I would have. I would have liked. Now that I'm thinking about it, it wasn't confusing to me, obviously, because. I'm a huge fan of the original, but I can't, I can imagine it might be a little confusing for someone that's never seen the original to say, to see this one, because all of a sudden at the end, you know, Peter and Ray and Winston show up. And for us, that was massively impactful, but we didn't really see a scene with any of them except for, of course, Ray leading up to that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be cool. It would have been cool to see some sort of small scene with Peter and some sort of small scene with Winston. Like if Winston would have, that scene would have been earlier in the movie where she like goes to like, like Janine goes to Winston to close up like the, the estate of Egon, you know what I mean? And then you see that maybe before you, you see Janine with the family for the first time. I don't know, which is to me, it would have been maybe better to have something with those guys leading up to. So when they come in at the end, the general audience is like, Oh, I know who these guys are. Mm. I, it, it had to be confusing to somebody that yeah. doesn't know who Peter and Winston are to be like, who are these guys? Well, like, what, like you know, yeah, I, 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 he but, does reference them. Ray does reference them in the occult bookstore. Like he does talk about what they did, which is necessary, right? He talks about what everybody's done up until that point, right? But you don't. See but if you've them. never seen Ghostbusters, you don't know that that's who it is at the end right away. I guess you know? I, I yeah, guess I, mean, I look at it. it why are you seeing this movie if you haven't seen the first one? Like, I, I, you know, I know they meant for it to be a standalone, but honestly, truly, why, why did you choose to go see this movie? I mean, did you like the trailers that much? That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you went to see it, but you would have gotten a lot more out of it if you saw at least the first one. You don't necessarily need to see the second one. And that's what I was telling everyone that was going just because they I was inviting them. They thought it would be cool and they knew how much we liked it. It's like, if you haven't seen the original or it's been a while, watch the first movie. You don't don't yes, you don't you don't thing. have to watch the second one. You don't need to watch the reboot. If you watch the first one, you'll get the general idea of what's happening in this movie that it'll make a right. lot more sense. It'll be much more enjoyable. But I Brad, exactly. I'm completely with you. That probably is one of my of my other criticisms and I know it would sort of take away from that the aha moment, you know, the mini puff going freaking out when the three guys show up if you saw them earlier in the movie, but I kind of wish there was a small introduction to Peter and Winston, like there was to Ray, even if it's just Ray, you know, Ray driving. I mean, I, I don't, I think they kind of confirmed there's only ever one Ecto. There isn't the one A isn't sitting somewhere else. Like there's the Ecto. They made it into the one A and then they took it back to closer to the original after Egon put the, uh, the gunner seat on, um, all that stuff, but have him going to see Winston in his high rise you know, tower where he controls the business, have him call Peter while Peter and Dana, um, are doing the, the shock therapy and like have that scene end with Peter answering, answering Ray's call, you know, just kind of introduce them just like real quick, real snippets of Ray getting the gang together saying something's up with Egon in Oklahoma. You know, it would just, it would have been nice to see them introduced a little bit sooner. Uh, but I also understand why they didn't do that. Um, right. But honestly, the movie was getting long to begin with. So, yeah. uh, and, they, and that's one thing I said to, to Caitlin. She's like, she's like, well, you got to think about this one in comparison to the other movies. Like this one had to kind of catch you up in a lot of ways. And, and, and that other movies didn't have to catch you up as much. You know, uh, this one had a lot more uh, pieces to the puzzle that we had to, that the audience had to be informed of, you know, between all these different characters, yeah. and how they tied in. So. Yeah, absolutely. But um, 
overall just phenomenal, phenomenal job and very fun watch, very enjoyable. For the most part, by and large, family friendly. I, I thought they did a really good job of being very real life accurate with how someone would probably feel and act if they thought their father <laughs> cast them aside. Um, they use some quasi adult language, though nothing major, nothing you know bordering on rated R. Um, they do say asshole. <laughs> they do say hell. Um, but. That was they say, they, oh, they say the S word like several times too. Yes, like yes, you're right. They they do. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. is all in there, but also very Ghostbusters, original Ghostbusters, not so much Ghostbusters too, but original Ghostbusters um had that feeling. I felt that, by and large the dialogue felt very Ghostbusters-esque. There was a, a few times that I, I, I didn't really like it. A lot of the original Ghostbusters stuff, that first viewing, I was just like, ooh, that didn't that didn't land for me, but it was much better the second time around. The one thing I don't really like is when uh, Keymaster and Gatekeeper come together and they have like a conversation as if they're boyfriend-girlfriend. That's, like, that's about, my least favorite part of the movie. Yes. Where she's like... Your eyes look very nice. I, I like your and eyes. Like, yeah. Like, I like your yeah. flower. I like your eyes. Like, I, yeah, that didn't land for me at all. And I, I didn't, yeah, I don't know that she that. needed to put on the, the dress. Like, she has like an Elsa from Frozen moment. She, she let it go and her, her outfit transforms into, you know, Sigourney Weaver's dress from the first movie. I mean, I guess that's just a gatekeeper thing, I guess, is what they were going for. Uh, I, I don't know that I needed that. Um, yeah, and then like the dialogue between them, it was kind of very cringy for me. I was like, eh, that feels very out of place. Uh, it didn't. It didn't feel Ghostbusters to me at all. It felt like um, it felt like humor they wanted to give Paul Rudd. Um, but I mean, other than that, I don't have a lot of qualms with anything else. Um, the original Ghostbusters stuff felt so much better the second time around. Uh, Ray talking about. Um, you know, the city, county, and state of New York from the original, and then he goes off into what Department of Conservation or the, you know, and the the invasive species, yeah. like unlimited. yeah, the, all the ducks yeah. at Ducks Unlimited or whatever. Yeah, he just yeah, yeah. It, it, the that, last one is the last one he says is like retired peoples or something yeah, like that. Association of retired, yeah, retiree, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and oh, uh, so yeah, good. and uh, she of course has to ask if they're if if he's a god. Uh, and I, I like Peter and Winston are like, come on, come on, Ray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, and it was, it, it caught me off guard when Peter was first trying to do almost like his GB2 stick where he's uh, talking to Vigo. This time he's talking to Gozer like, oh, we, you know, we were something, you know, I thought, it, I thought it was, uh, it, it ended the first time and he's just kind of doing his thing to distract her so that Winston can zap her just kind of like in, in Ghostbusters 2. Um, that didn't, again, that didn't land for me the first time either. Uh, but it felt so much better the second time around. Everything just felt so much better the second time around. And the, the ending, I don't don't remember any of the dialogue from when I first watched it. I think I was just so like, like my eyes were like, like this the whole time or something. Yeah. I definitely was able to pay attention more to like what he was saying. And it was actually way funnier the second time I I could actually, I do like that. The introduction to the three of them at the end is, Hey, flat top. Like that's so great. Um, that, 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 that was very good. Um, and I like that they cross the streams and the, the, she's able to overcome it because they're a man short. They don't have that fourth stream. Uh, it's very, very well done against something that I think went over my head the first time I was watching it. And then they 
You know, they didn't have that fourth stream to, together, and like, she could uncross the streams like very, very good, very well done. And then it, it didn't really dawn on me right away that like the, the to like the second or third viewing that like the whole family is really the ones that saved the day because right you know you have you have Phoebe holding the gun and then Egon supporting her and then and then Trevor uh, Trevor shoots the stack of things yep. and lights it up which allows the trap to come and then Callie's the one that, that hits the traps yeah the thing to open the trap so it's like it's like a full family effort at the end which I think is really kind of cool. Yeah, you know everybody needed to come together, I th- right? And and it wasn't that the original three just came back and took care of the problem, right? And that you know they could have done that the whole time and end of movie. You know what I mean? Like you had to have Phoebe really, you know, stand up to be brave enough to stand up to Gozer mm-hmm. to add this to add her stream to the to, you know to make to make it work. Like she had to participate, and it, it depended on her. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Ghostbusters couldn't do it without, without her and by extension without Egon and his family. So, you know, I was happy to see that too, that it wasn't just like, oh, we can't do this on our own. Three guys show up. Oh, okay. We did. Oh yeah, we you did. Know? No, <laughs> it ends up coming yeah. full circle. It comes back to, to Phoebe and then the, the, the larger Spengler family. And that's so great when after they're done with, I know Brent, you were thinking of, of something else, but I just call it the, the Harry Potter moment where, Phoebe blasts Gozer and Gozer comes back with her lightning and they're going at it, going at it. And Phoebe's, you know, she's shaking. She, you don't think she can handle it. And then you see that hand (laughs) like, and as soon as you see that hand, the the second time we were watching it, that's immediately I started crying. I was like, I, cause I know what's coming now and it didn't happen the first time. But the second time when I saw that hand, I was just like, Oh my gosh. Um, But I didn't think we'd see a full shot of Egon because we didn't see one in the beginning. In the beginning. Right. Yeah. Right. They really I, I did a good not, job yeah. keeping that hidden. Yeah. Uh, and that camera pans and she, you know, she notices it and, and looks and like he, the way they have the stand in and then the digital overlay of Harold Ramis's face all fits together so perfectly. And I know a lot of people want to compare it to star Wars and Marvel, um, but it's just different because Ghostbusters got, a little easier because it's a spectral form. You know, they're able to do it so that it's, uh, he's not really there in person. It's not supposed to look like his human face. It's those features, but it's spectral, um, which made it a little easier, but they knocked it out of the park. Like they absolutely captured everything about Harold Ramis and Egon Spengler to a T. Like it's incredible. It really is. It's so well done. And when, when she and, or when Phoebe and Egon walk over and stand then next to the original three and you have Winston look over and get everyone's attention and they all look to see what's happening. Like that shot of the four of them, the the spectral Egon with the three originals, I cannot wait until it's safe to put that out on social media because I want that as my cover photo. I like that is that is what we were waiting 32 years for. That is exactly the moment that we wanted. And even yeah, with I didn't think we were going to get it with Harry Ramis's we're passing, there I was like, we're not going to get what we actually want. We're getting this movie, but we're not going to get what we want. Where we want the four of them fighting. And guess what? They did it. They did it. How about uh? to wrap this up here at the end, how about the, the, uh, the moment that everyone got to have with the ghost of Egon there at the end, because they encompassed everything. Once again, they got Dan, who is clearly visual, visibly emotional 
you know, both as Ray and Dan, although they're one and the same. I mean, if anyone was his character, Dan Aykroyd is Ray Stans. But he's emotional telling Egon he should have believed him. And, you know, Winston says he should have called. Like they didn't. And this is, I feel like all three of them, their characters speaking for the actors, especially especially Bill Murray, because we know what went down between Bill Murray and, and Harold Ramis or what really didn't go down. They, they, they fell off. Their friendship fell off after Groundhog Day. And it wasn't the same. I know they got together close to his passing. Um, but this is what they all were known for together. And to have that moment with the four of them, just spectacular. And then from a movie perspective, to have that moment with Phoebe, Trevor, and Callie. Like to have you know, the patriarch and the grandfather figure and for them to all have a moment and for Phoebe to grasp on to her scientist grandfather and, and then Callie to have that hug and to, to to be with someone who she thought didn't care about her at all, but she had found out he deeply cared about her and was doing all this for her and her family. Like, what what a moment. Just, like, it's tough to talk about now. What What did you guys think of that? Yeah, when, when uh, Ernie Hudson says, uh, I miss you, my friend, uh, you know it's him talking. It's not Winston. It's it's definitely him talking. Yeah, I mean, uh, unbelievably impactful ending. And the music is the music is stellar at that part. I think I told you guys to listen to those last two or three tracks like a bunch of times I was driving the other day. Um, so good. And, and, and that's the part that kind of really, for me, is very reminiscent of E.T., because like, you know, how E.T. says goodbye to everybody and then he gets to Elliot last, you know what I mean? And then and you see the shot with the with the wind and the lights flashing and all that. You get that same kind of feel from this from this end of this movie that you do from the end of E.T., you know, saying goodbye like that, that same emotional impact that it has. So to me, this was like the perfect ending to a great movie, you know, that, that and I think the ending made the rest of the movie even better Yeah, uh, because of that impact that the payoff was so big at the end, you know, the payoff was so big at the end in so many ways. So, so the, the spirit of Egon moves on. And as we pan up, we get the four Herald before the movie's even wrapped. You know, I expected it when the screen goes black at the end, I was expecting, you know, four Herald Ramis, but no, they give it to you as his uh, spectral figure moves on to the unknown it says for Harold, and then we get that, you know, what usually is the cold open, we get basically a cold exit, where you get the theme song kick in, you get Ghostbusters, you get the Ecto driving across the the bridge in New York City, setting up some of our post-credit scenes, um, great, great archival footage of Janine and Winston. Uh, first off, you get Janine and Egon with the coin, uh, some cut footage from the original about the World's mm-hmm. Fair in 1964. It cuts to her with the coin talking to uh, Winston. I guess that's the the second post credit scene, but um, it's the longest one. It's very long, uh, and it basically sets up the future of the franchise. Winston's going to be the guy, uh, almost in like a Tony Stark role, whatever direction they go, but he brought the Ecto back to the firehouse, which Dan Aykroyd, you know, Ray Stance tells us it was a Starbucks, but I think that's a little tongue in cheek joke that he's just thrown in there as he's venting about Egon Spengler and the demise of the Ghostbusters in the, you know, 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so a lot is set up for the future. Uh, we already well, talked to. Yeah. 
Sorry, the thing that, it, it, I mean, you say that about the setting up for the future, but it's it's now been basically 98% confirmed because the YHS interview with Jason Reitman, he says he uh, that Ernie Hudson is set up as being the future of the plans for this franchise. He says it out loud. This is the, this is where we're moving. And Ernie Hudson has a big, is a big um, factor in the future of what's going to happen. So for us to could take a big sigh of relief as fans and say, okay, whew, like we are going to get more stuff. The, the success of this movie is big enough now that, that we can, we can all take a sigh of relief and, and know that we're getting more. We're definitely getting more. And he even mentions like a Tony Stark, you know, Bruce Wayne type of uh, figure, almost like Egon did in Extreme Ghostbusters. He's yeah. like the Egon of, of that era. What, what, yeah. And what's really exciting about that is that of the, the media landscape that we live in now, like in 1984, when you wanted more Ghostbusters, you were presuming that you were saying we're getting another movie. Right. But it could be so many things now, uh, as we know, like the comic books have been hugely successful. The, the follow-on could be a new comic book series. Um, it could be a cartoon. It could be uh, a streaming show. It could be a book series. Like, there's so much that it could be now. Like, and, and it's likely going to be a combination of all those things. But, like, we're, not, we're no longer limited to just, oh, we have to wait three or four years for the next movie to come out. Like, there's so much that, that can happen now. I would love to see uh, an I ongoing series. Yeah, I hope it's a streaming yep. series with yes, um, yes, a multimedia yes. component, like with a with a uh, a comic, comic book, book for, for deep background. Because yes, yeah. I like comics, and and the comic book is so good that I want those guys that are doing that to continue to be able to do that. Um, but that that's what's really exciting to me is you know it's kind of in this post Star Wars world too. Like we don't know, you know, maybe there'll be you know anthology films or or something we we don't know it's which is great you know i think um, also it's a it's a post pandemic world too where they can't necessarily put all the money in the movie basket like you were talking right. about earlier like like there's it changed like the way that 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 um content is being distributed like you said like you know when was the last time we got a star wars movie it was 20, 2019 we're not, we're not going to get one for quite a while already and we're all kind of okay with it cuz we're getting like we, we got TV Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. Uh, we got Ahsoka coming. Andor's out this year. Obi-Wan's out this year. Like, I, I want a Star Wars movie, but I'm okay waiting because we have all this other content. And that's how I kind of want to feel about Ghostbusters. Those are eight, are eight, eight to ten hour movies that we're getting. Right. Like, that's what I'm as saying. Opposed, yeah. That's, as yep. opposed to three hour movies, you know, or two hour movies or one hour movies. We get seven right. to eight hour movies yeah. that are coming out. Like, well, I wouldn't be more. surprised to see a new comic book announced, an ongoing comic series. Uh, some kind of streaming series. And um, I think we could get it. And whether or not they're related or separate entities, I think we could get an animated show. I really do. Um, they've talked about that a lot over the last few years. I think we could get two shows and maybe they could be, you know, one could broadcast in the spring, one could broadcast in the fall. And uh, I think we could get that. I, I really think we could. Uh, I think it's out there. I think subscri subscriptions would be strong if they can do anything like Star Wars um you know, even 75% of what Star Wars is giving us because the Star Wars stuff is fabulous on Disney+. Plus. If we could get something like that for Ghostbusters, I would be uh, I would be so, so happy and so thankful. Um, but I'm very happy and thankful for Ghostbusters Afterlife. I hope I get to see it again soon. Brian, I'm sure you do as well. Brent, you're already oh, yeah. at three, so we need to catch up. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we all really, really like this movie. I'm so very grateful that, Brian, that you drove all the way up here to see it with us. Uh, that was something that 
Um, even though we were only together for like two and a half hours, it was very, very meaningful to have us all there together. Uh, you know, my, my dad was there, your dad was there. We got Nick and the mm-hmm. Johnsons there and a whole bunch of our friends, uh, you know, my mm-hmm. kids, uh, some of our other friends, kids, and just a f- fantastic, fantastic viewing experience with, uh, my, yep. uh, family and extended family and fr- close friends from over the years. Um, I know. And thank you, Joey, for organizing that, by the way, thank you for kind of being the ringleader there. And yeah, for sure. Stuff. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was a blast. Boy, I would, I would do that again in, in a heartbeat for a movie like that. Um, sure. the last thing I wanted to do guys, and this is Good. just well, Clifford, uh, the big red dog is coming out. So uh, okay. let me know when you're running the theater. All right. Well, let I me know will, when uh, you're driving up, uh, to oh, see yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, the last thing I wanted to do, cause I know we got to get going. We have stuff, other things to do, but, uh, I was lucky enough to be selected by, by Coca-Cola through their drink high C account to, uh, get one of the commemorative releases of Ecto cooler. And I hadn't had the chance to open it yet. So I wanted to do that right now. Um, I was cutting it open while Brian was talking. Uh. Um, but that is exactly what is in this box. Uh, so I'm very, very, very thankful to, uh, high C for this. Um, I saw that they created accounts. I hopped on and immediately started following them on Instagram and, you know, they said they wanted to share the love and just, you basically leave a comment, basically, uh, giving Ghostbusters and, and Ecto Cooler drink high C, uh, a shout out. And I just said that this was the greatest thing to happen since they announced Ghostbusters Afterlife in January 2019. And next thing I knew, they pinned my comment and it got, it's up to like 60 some likes. But before it even got there, a few days after that, they reached out to me and said that I was selected. So here it is in all its glory. Um, behind this uh, facade is, uh, if I can get it out of the box, here we go. Joey, Joey, Yo. when or are you going to drink it? Um, so yeah, I'm still working on that cause I don't want it to wreck the box or anything else in my collection. Uh, here we go. Let's pop this bad boy open. What's behind there? Oh, what's back there? You're going to drink it on the 30th anniversary of afterlife. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there oh, it is. Man. Look at that. Oh, and they it's use so the original good. label and everything. Yeah, that's what makes this, I think, because it's promotional. You know, they're handing it out. No one's mm-hmm. buying it. They're not promoting it on television or anything or in the uh, in the uh, sugary drink aisle. It's allowed you to have the original buy it in sticker. A theater? You couldn't get it in a theater somewhere. They were only handing it out at at promotional oh, events. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Um, so. I didn't get any of the promotional versions in 2016, but that was available for sale. And I bought a bunch on Amazon and I had them shipped to me. It was actually when I got home from the hospital from one of my autoimmune flare-ups back in 2016, I had cases of high C ecto cooler waiting for me. So that made it all worth it. Um, Now this time I I have this here and um, like the packaging is stellar. Like absolutely. They went above and beyond this great little insert and then inside that's the money shot right there look at that oh wow not for retail sale but the original sticker with slimer um Mm -hmm. so yeah i was honestly i was hoping it would be here by the time you guys were here because i would have loved to cracked it open and and drank it with all of us i think i i I said i was probably going to drink it and I, i probably will share it with the girls as a see, get their um, response because I don't think they had any back in 2016 with me. Well, I mean, Haley would have only been a year old, um, and Natalie wasn't drinking much sugary drinks, and she doesn't even really drink right. them now. So, um, but high C, I think, is acceptable in a small portion. So, 
Um, I'm definitely going to drink it at some point. I don't know when or where that'll be. Uh, maybe Brent will be around. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, but I am very thankful to uh, Ghostbusters, Coca-Cola, Drink High C accounts because that packaging is just awesome. Like that is really, really cool. Plus uh, you got that certificate of authenticity in right. there that, you know, that that's pretty cool. And it looked like the label had some new writing on it too that it wasn't on the original. Yeah, it has the Ghostbusters Afterlife stuff on the back there. Um, but they, they kept the integrity of the Slimer part of the label intact, which is mm-hmm, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, Brent, I don't know if yep. you watched the Yes Have Some video about the uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife Ecto Cooler sad comments. I don't know if you oh, saw yeah. that video. Um, apparently, <laughs> I am now an influencer and a streamer because I'm sitting here with this because the sad comments people only say that they were only giving it out to influencers and not real fans. Well, well so. you know, you are streaming right now. And we are streaming, yes. Some people, so, and their opinion. Um, so, yeah, I guess you are. I guess th- this this high C Ecto Cooler drop is the new uh, Star Wars Fanboy Tears containers. You, you, you so. can be anything you want, Joe. You can be an influencer or a DJ. <laughs> I, call it, I, I call myself podcast because of my podcast. Here's we didn't card. even dive into no, some of the lines of the new characters because podcast is too. amazing. Like, like, Logan like Kim, so good. So quotable. Oh, know? yeah. Like, so quotable. I, and I love so. how they tie that together. Well, first of all, Natalie and Haley love that he hands uh, Phoebe his podcast on a Rainbow Dash jump drive. Um, and then yeah. he told her that it really you know, found its momentum or hit its stride at the 46th episode. And then when you find out at the end that Ray Stance is his one subscriber and that he's like, it really, it really found its way in episode 46. Like that was perfect. I loved that. Mystical tales of the un- unknown universe. <laughs> of course, Dan Aykroyd would listen to that. W? <laughs> <laughs> You're my subscriber. <laughs> yeah. Oh so my God. And, and I love podcasts in this movie. I, I think he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Hands down. Oh, great. Uh, when he's tasing the mini puffs and he comes out looking like them at the end of the first movie, you know, after Stay Puff explodes and they're covered in marshmallows. Yeah, that goes, was a nice little. Oh, that back. was great. Yeah, that, was, that was so, cool. so yep. good. Um, yeah. Wow. What a movie. I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be out in the next six weeks or so on home video and can watch it whenever we yeah. want. And I love that I'm the girls are all about it. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if she would go see it again with me in the theaters um, right now, but I'm sure she'll watch it again when we get it on home video, especially if the girls want to watch it. She seemed to really enjoy it, so... That's what, what more can we ask it. about? Do we have a release date? I didn't. No. I, I pre-ordered it with no release date. I just yeah yeah. So yeah I'm 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 gonna get the the Best Buy, what's usually Best Buy Steelbook, and uh, mm. and if it comes out like a couple weeks early on digital, I'll probably get it on digital because I'll probably keep the Steelbook in its packaging anyways. So I'll need a way to redeem it. So I'll probably uh, get it, it digitally when it comes out, and I'll get the at least the Steelbook when it's released physically. But awesome. All right, guys. Well, I, we could talk another hour about this movie and go really in-depth about oh, everything, about all the new characters and, and everything that's happened throughout the three acts. But I think we nailed the major points and got the uh, point across that we love this film. We're happy to be a part of it and you know, can't wait to, uh, to watch it again. Yeah, me too. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to episode 16 of Tangent with the Friends. We're Brian, Brent, and myself recap full of spoilers, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I have no idea when we will be back again, 
but hopefully it's in the not too distant future. There's a lot of Star Wars stuff on the horizon, so we might be back to cover Obi-Wan and Andor and Book of Boba Fett, all that happening in the next year. Book of Boba Fett comes out in just about a month. Um, so Brian, Brent, thanks so much for joining me. I'm glad we all love the movie. I'm glad we got to talk about it and glad we finally got it. So uh, until next time here at Tangents with Friends, make sure you go and watch Ghostbusters Afterlife in the theater. Give Sony your money so we can get more Ghostbusters. And thank you to Jason Reitman and all of Ghost Corps for bringing this about. And thank you to all of the actors that created this movie. It was well worth the wait. Until next time, I'm Joey. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks for listening to Tangents with Friends. You can find more episodes at jmnjrradio.com. And if you do want to hear about sports, tune into the Joe Mays and J-Raff Show live every Sunday. <laughs>